0: You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, Ellie Shannon goes over details relating to the ACT Human Rights Film Festival, and I'll be covering the shooting that occurred at a Boulder King Supers yesterday.
0: After that, Dixon Lawson updates us on CSU Athletics, and then you'll be hearing a conversation from between myself and Dr. Cedric, Jamie Rutland, about vaccine efforts in minority communities.
1: Then, Jacob Selby tells us about new updates on Derek Chauvin's trial for the murder of George Floyd, as well as updates on the shooting of eight people across multiple Atlanta spas. Following that, Coda speaks to Andrea Willis about Google job search tools.
0: After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and talking about the upcoming ASCSU vice presidential debates happening tonight.
1: To conclude the show, Coda will be giving some updates on technology, and I'll be telling you about how the Dallas Police Department is finally no longer using hypnotism as evidence.
0: Let's move right into campus and local news.
2: Hello, this is Ellie Shannon, and we are in our 10th week of classes here at Colorado State University. Saliva testing is still available for students, staff, and faculty throughout RAMWeb. Testing sites are at Moby Arena Parking Lot, Mac Gym and the Recreation Center, and at the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus. Videographer Ron Bend of the CSU Social and Digital Media Team has released his video, Action in a Time of Crisis, examining the experiences of 19 researchers and staff from CSU who have dealt with the pandemic since the start of it. The video will make its debut on March 26, and for more information go to source.colostate.edu. On Tuesday, March 23rd, at 6.30 p.m., watch the ASCSU Vice Presidential Debate virtually. This will be the first night of debates between four possible candidates, Lydia Zucklick, Weston Schroeder, Mary Gebretsedek, and David Pringle. For more information on this, go to Collegian.com. The ACT Human Rights Film Festival is taking place now until March 28th. The event is virtual, and for ticket pricing and Zoom information, go to virtualevents.colostate.edu. University President Joyce McConnell sent out an email to students, staff, and faculty on Monday night after the horrific shooting that took place in Boulder. McConnell stated, quote, Our hearts are with the people of Boulder tonight as they reel from the unexpected violence in their community. We've reached out to CU Boulder leadership to offer support and will continue to do so in the days and weeks to come, end quote. President McConnell is not the only one that is standing with Boulder after this tragic shooting. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. And always make sure to tune in to KCSU. I'm Ellie Shannon and you're listening to 90.5 FM.
1: Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey and this is your local news for today. I-25 closed for more than 36 hours over the weekend after a semi-taker crashed and spilled over 11,000 gallons of diesel fuel near Loveland. According to Miles Bloomhart at the Coloradoan, southbound lanes of I-25 between Colorado Highway 402 and U.S. Highway 34 opened up around 1.30 p.m. Sunday, with northbound lanes opening about 90 minutes later. The crash occurred just after 1 a.m. Saturday when a fully loaded tanker crashed into concrete barriers in a construction zone of North I-25 Express Lanes project. The spill site is about a half mile north of the Big Thompson River. Paul Pernard the Environmental Protection Agency's on-scene coordinator, said Sunday afternoon that the bulk of the fuel was sucked up Saturday night or diverted and should not have an impact on river or nearby irrigation canals. However, he said the spill site is continuing to be monitored, saying, quote, What we are doing now is setting up residual production because the fuel soaked through the asphalt and into the ground, Bernard said. It'll keep bleeding out for a couple months or more. What we are focusing now is policing where it will drain and get into control ditches, so we can keep policing the water and removing it before it reaches the river. End quote. Colorado State Patrol said Sunday morning that the tanker driver received treatment at the Medical Center of the Rockies for serious but non life threatening injuries. The Colorado State Patrol cited the driver for careless driving. CSP said that while the crash investigation is still ongoing, driver fatigue was being considered the main factor in the crash. A Loveland man has pleaded guilty to holding two salesmen, including a black CSU football player, at gunpoint in the summer of 2020. According to Sadie Swanson at the Coloradoan, Scott Gudmundson, 66 years old, was arrested in June after police say he held two roofing inspection salesmen at gunpoint and knelt on the neck of one of the men, who was later identified by CSU Athletics as a black football player, because he thought they were members of Antifa or anti-fascists. Goodmanson pleaded guilty to menacing with a weapon, a Class 5 felony, during a court hearing Tuesday. Six other charges were dismissed by the 8th Judicial District Attorney's Office as a part of a plea agreement. As a part of the plea agreement, the defense and prosecution agreed to a wellness court sentence for Goodmanson if he is accepted to the program. Wellness Court is an alternative to incarceration for those with a severe and persistent mental illness. Those in the program attend court once per week, attend individual and group therapy, and are supervised by probation. If Gunmanson is not accepted into the wellness court program, the agreement stipulates he'll be sentenced to 30 months in community corrections, Marcus explained in Thursday's court hearing. If he isn't accepted to that program, the next sentencing option would be supervised probation with a mental health treatment or probation through the AIIM program, alternatives to incarceration for individuals with mental health needs, which is very similar to the wellness court program. To determine if any of these programs would be an appropriate sentence, Gudmanson will undergo several pre-sentence evaluations. If he is denied alternative sentencing and not recommended for probation, his sentence would be open to 8th Judicial District Judge Michelle Brinnegar's discretion, which can include one to three years in prison, according to Brinnegar. Gudmanson remains in the Larimer County Jail on $50,000 bond. His sentencing hearing is scheduled for May 4th, but that could change if he is accepted into wellness court. Ten people were killed Monday in a shooting at a King Super supermarket in Boulder, including a police officer. The suspect is currently in custody, according to authorities. According to the Associated Press, Boulder Police Commander Kerry Yamaguchi said at a news conference that the suspect was getting medical treatment and there was no further threat to the public. According to Boulder County District Attorney Michael Doherty, the suspect is expected to be booked into jail later today. The suspect was identified as a 21-year-old man. Officers had escorted a shirtless man with blood running down his leg out of the store in handcuffs, but authorities would not say if he was the suspect. Investigators don't know yet why the suspect opened fire inside the grocery store. He, uh, Doherty said that the investigation is still in the early stages, but the detectives believe the suspect was the only shooter. A law enforcement official briefed on the shooting told the Associated Press that the gunman used an AR-15 rifle, a lightweight, semi-automatic rifle. Officials were working fast to trace the gun. The official was not authorized to speak publicly and spoke to AP on the condition of anonymity. The slain officer was identified as 51-year-old Eric Tailey, who had been with Boulder Police since 2010. He was the first to arrive after responding to the call about shots fired and someone carrying a rifle, according to authorities. Colorado Governor Jared Polis tweeted a statement that his, quote, heart is breaking as we watch the unspeakable event unfold in our Boulder community. Police told people to shelter in place amid a report of a, quote, armed, dangerous individual, end quote, about three miles away from the grocery store, but said that the news conference later that it was not related to the shooting. The FBI said it's helping the investigation at the request of the police. White House Press Secretary Jen Paskey tweeted that President Joe Biden had been briefed on the shooting. In a statement, the King Super's chain owned by Kroger offered thoughts, prayers, and support to our associates, customers, and the first responders who so bravely responded to this tragic situation. We will continue to cooperate with local law enforcement and our store will remain closed during the police investigation. Kevin Daly, owner of Under the Sun Eatery and Pizzeria restaurant a block or so from the supermarket, said that he was in his shop when he saw police cars arriving and shoppers running from the grocery store. He said he took in several people to keep them warm and others boarded a bus provided by Boulder police and were transported to another location. That's all I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU. In five minutes, you'll be hearing our interview with Dr. Cedric Jamie Rutland from the American Lung Association. Stay tuned.
2: Hey, best friend, it's me, Stevie Superstar, and I can't wait to hang out with you on Friday. From one to three, I'll help kick off your weekend with my hand-selected weekly jams. You'll be bumping and grumping when Stevie's in the station on 90.5 KCSU.
3: afternoon my name is Dixon Lawson and you're tuned into the RMR Sports Report for the week of March 23rd starting off we're going to head back to last Friday where we had a canceled volleyball game but that was not all we also had the first round of the NIT tournament the men's basketball team taking on Buffalo going through that game it was tight down to the finish 75-73 was the finale or the final excuse me points off of turnovers is where CSU thrived having 17 to Buffalo's 8 whereas Buffalo really tried to push the ball fast and had 12 fast break points throughout the game. CSU will move on this Thursday to take on North Carolina State in the second round of the NIT tournament. On Saturday we had the second Of What was supposed to be two games for the volleyball team this weekend against Fresno State? It was a 3-1 match win for the Rams. They now move to six and five on the season They took an early first set 25-17 lead and then Fresno State battled back in the second making it 25-19 CSU continued on strong throughout the third and the fourth winning 25-12 and 25-17 this was led by strong performances for the Rams, starting off with Brianna Reynolds, 15 kills, 3 errors on 46 total attacks, coming up with 16.5 points for the team, and then Sasha Colombo coming up with a big 13 points on 9 kills and 16 total attempts. The volleyball team will look forward to this Thursday when they take on Boise State here at home, and then Saturday where they will be taking on Utah State in Moby Arena as well. To round out the report, we also have CSU Soccer this coming up this Friday against Air Force at two PM right here in Fort Collins, Colorado. That will do it for me. My name is Dixon Lawson, and that is the RMR Sports Report for March twenty third. Be sure to tune into RMR every Tuesday and Thursday, at four to five PM and keep it locked here at ninety point five KCSU, Fort
0: Collins. This past year has brought some interesting challenges and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Due to various ethical injustices performed in the medical field, specifically to Black communities and Indigenous communities, vaccination access and interest has been unequal between white communities and minority communities in the U.S. To address these issues, the American Lung Association partnered with the Center for Black Health and Equity to provide a toolkit to these communities, especially Black communities, in addressing any key questions about vaccines and encouraging these communities to make well-informed decisions about whether or not they should receive the vaccine and which vaccine they should receive if they choose to. I spoke to Dr. Cedric Jamie Rutland from the American Lung Association about this, and he and I spoke mostly about why it's important to make sure that these communities are being heard and why it's important to empower them to make this decision rather than making them feel like they're forced to. Dr. Rutland is a pulmonary and critical expert who works with the American Lung Association. And we really focused on the Tuskegee effect, which refers to the longstanding history of medical experiments and racial bias in healthcare specifically aimed at Black people, and the effects caused from these experiments. Some of these experiments include the Tuskegee experiment, as well as the famous Henrietta Lacks case, in which her cells were extracted and used for medical experiments without ever compensating her family for their use. Her cells have been used to create treatments for a variety of illnesses, including HIV and cancer, but her family didn't even know that her cells were being used until recently. According to the CDC, the Tuskegee experiment involved 600 black men, 399 with syphilis and 201 without syphilis, and they were treated without informed consent. These men were given improper treatment And in exchange, they only received free medical exams, meals, and burial insurance, but no actual financial compensation, which is now commonplace in the medical field. Many of the men had been misled about the study's actual purpose, and the distrust related to this experiment has been ongoing for years. Now I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Rutland about how COVID-19 vaccine efforts have been complicated by this issue. Thank you so much for joining me today.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here.
0: All right, and then just to start out, What are your pronouns, just so that people know what to refer to you as if they hear this interview? (laughs)
4: Uh, I'm uh, Cedric Jamie Rutland. Uh, I'm a pulmonary critical care physician in Southern California. Oh, he.
0: And then what do you think right now is one of the biggest issues that you're facing in making sure that people know how to get vaccinated, knowing they're eligible?
4: Yeah, one of the biggest issues that we're facing is really, you know, there's a couple of them. One is Access to vaccination, right? That's a big issue. And then another issue is actually understanding what it means to get vaccinated and why it's important to do
0: so. Definitely. And then what do you think is an issue in terms of making sure that these local clinics are really impacting the community they're in and getting people vaccinated when they're ready?
4: Yeah. You know, I I think that um, the local clinics need to have an understanding of who's eligible, and really they need to have a way of getting people vaccinated in general. And when you go to lung.org, what you'll be able to do on lung.org is you'll be able to download a toolkit that's gonna help you with COVID-19 vaccination information. It has a significant amount of information on this toolkit. And it sounds like a lot when I say it's 35 pages, but it's not 35 pages of text. It's 35 pages of beautifully written information that allows people to understand the science of SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 and a vaccination so they can make an informed decision. It's not about just telling someone to go get vaccinated. It's about arming them with the information so they can make that decision themselves.
0: The Black community is specific to vaccines and other medical procedures, um, has a lot of trauma related to the Tuskegee experiments. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how you're combating that along with the American Lung Association?
4: Yeah. um, we understand that the experience of being black in this country isn't always a positive one. And when you look medically, we've been experimenting on Tuskegee, Cincinnati radiation Experi- uh, experiments, many other experiments that have happened to us. And so we have to admit that these things happened, which is why the mistrust started. But we also have to develop a way to communicate correct science. We have to communicate that although these things happened, it doesn't mean that science is wrong. Um, And we gotta do that in such a way that allows people to receive this information, absorb this information and make their own decision based on information that was given to them by trusted resources like the American Lung Association and lung.org.
0: Kind of relating back to that, why do you think that empowering these people to make their own decision and your community, make their own decisions is the most important part of this?
4: Because nobody likes to be told what to do. If I told you to get up and go over there, you'd be like, wait, what? No, but again, when you are telling people what to do, people are gonna get immediately defensive. So when you tell somebody go get a vaccine, they're gonna be like, I gotta get a vaccine. Why are you trying to tell me that? But if you tell people in general that they need to understand the science of respiratory illness and the science of vaccination, it makes it so much easier.
0: Can you explain why exactly certain communities were hit harder by the pandemic and why it matters to make sure that those communities are getting vaccinated?
4: You know, I can't explain why communities were hit harder. I can tell you that healthcare inequities exist and that definitely significantly contributed to why the black and Latino community, you know, aren't doing as well as the white community. And I don't mean in terms of straight up numbers. I mean, we are twice as likely to be hospitalized You know, up to three times as likely to die secondary to COVID-19 when compared to the Caucasian counterparts. And so we have to understand that we got to narrow that gap. And if people decide to not get vaccinated in the communities that are affected the most, all that's going to do is widen the gap. And that's not something I'm interested in seeing. And that's not something that a lot of people are interested in seeing, but that is what could happen if we don't get up to speed in terms of knowing why vaccination is important.
0: Just relating to misinformation, how that's impacting minority communities. I know that Facebook has had a lot of issues in moderating Spanish content properly. How do you think that this is impacting people's understanding of the vaccine and COVID-19 in general?
4: Well, I think it gets in the way, right? Because anything that's well-produced can be believable. And so when you continue to allow misinformation to run rampant on these platforms, just because it looks pretty, or it's well produced, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right, even though the science of this misinformation is completely baseless and wrong. So you have to develop an ability to arm people with science so that they can understand how to think on their own and develop their own conclusions that are based from trusted resources like American Lung Association.
0: Do you just want to touch on any parts of the culturally relevant information that comes from the American Lung Association and the Center for Black Health and Equity really quick?
4: Yeah, so we partnered with the Center for Black Health and Equity, and we created this toolkit, which I think is fantastic. And it's a COVID-19 vaccine toolkit that has loads of information that will arm people with the ability to make a good decision. I think that the information that's present within this toolkit allows people to build on their foundation of knowledge. And as you build up that foundation and build up that knowledge, people understand why vaccination is important and they'll probably make that decision on their own.
0: All right, thank you so much. You've been a great guest today, Dr. Rutland. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we go?
4: No, I, you know, I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Please visit lung.org and the American Lung Association's website. If you have any questions, go ahead and leave them there and we'll get back to you.
0: All right. Thanks again. That was Dr. Jamie Rutland from the American Lung Association, and we'll be right back with national news. KCSU comes from the CSU Department of English Creative Writing Reading Series and their upcoming Zoom livestream event on March 25th, featuring literary work and voices of distinguished authors Kate Bolton-Bonesey and Brandon Krieg. Their readings will be live via Zoom starting 7 p.m. Thursday, March 25th. For more information on this event and other upcoming authors in the Creative Writing Reading Series, visit english.colistate.edu slash events. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Hello.
5: You're listening to KCSC Fort Collins. I'm Jacob Selby, and these are the national news highlights for March 23rd. An international effort to clean up debris in space caused by spacecraft in low Earth orbit is poised to begin soon. According to Janice Cho of NBC News, an upcoming mission to help clean up space junk left over from more than half a century of missions is about to begin. Low Earth orbit is a narrow band of space where the vast majority of missions ultimately end up. As a result of the massive amount of equipment that has been launched into space, there is an increasing issue of man-made space materials crowding the area which satellites and other spacecraft inhabit. This debris can range anywhere from paint chips to full sized deactivated Cold War-era satellites. This debris can cause issues for active satellites due to the high velocity the particles travel while in space. As a result, space junk poses a threat to the very future of human space exploration. The new mission known as ELSA-D, is testing new capture methods which could be used to de-orbit larger pieces of space debris. This is done by bringing them to a lower orbit where they can re-enter the Earth's gravity and theoretically burn up harmlessly in the upper atmosphere. Concerns around space debris have grown as more launches have been occurring, leaving a greater number of space debris in space every year. Because systems which require the use of satellites, such as GPS and telecommunications equipment, have been a critical aspect of modern life, recent concerns that we could be heading for a disaster have been brought up. Astroscale, the company behind the LCD program, is hoping its new space capture technology will open up the market for orbital debris removal. John Auburn, project manager at Astroscale, claims that the company has been working for eight years to develop a new technology they believe can help solve this problem. LCD is attempting to demonstrate the new technology by having a larger service satellite capture a piece of simulated space debris and pushing it out of orbit. Over the next few months, the service satellite will continue to conduct multiple experiments to determine the best method to eliminate space junk from orbit. Astroscale believes this is the beginning of the solution that may one day solve the greater issue of overcrowding in space. Vigils. Honoring the victims of last week's mass shooting which targeted Asian American women in Georgia have been happening all across the U.S. and the world. The shooter specifically targeted Asian women who worked at spas in three locations across the metro Atlanta area. The incident has highlighted a growing concern about the rise in racism targeted directly at Asian Americans since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The suspect, a 21-year-old Georgia white male, claims race was not the motive behind the killings and that the murders were sexual in nature. However, investigators have not fully ruled out race as a primary motive behind the attacks, and the criminal investigation is still fully underway. Hundreds of people were in attendance at events in Atlanta on Saturday to remember the women who were murdered and to protest the rise in targeted racism against Asians in America. Asian Americans have been trying to increase awareness about rising racism even before the shooting on Tuesday. Asian American hate crimes have been on the rise all across the United States since the start of the pandemic. Racism specifically targeting people of Asian descent has been at its highest rate in decades. Senator John Liu of New York criticized Georgia police for taking the shooter at his word and denying the racial nature of the attacks. The attacks have left many Asian Americans feeling more vulnerable than ever, and many have become increasingly worried about their own safety and living conditions in the United States. The attacks in Georgia have shown an increasing trend in racism against Asian-Americans is real. However, the incident is certainly not isolated. Many attacks targeting Asian-Americans have been happening since the beginning of the pandemic in major cities and rural areas all across the country. For many Asian-Americans, they are worried about what the future will hold and if they are truly safe living in a society where they are seemingly under physical and psychological attack at an increasing and alarming rate. COVID-19 restrictions in Colorado may start being lifted as soon as next week. According to Chuck Murphy of CPR News, Colorado plans to reduce or eliminate some restrictions in the coming days, including allowing boroughs to reopen in most places and to allow individual counties greater autonomy in setting their own guidelines. State Health Department workers said on Friday that the growing vaccine rate is making it possible for the state to soon start stepping back its role of overseeing health restrictions. The state is hoping to hand over full control to local officials in all of Colorado's 64 counties by mid-April. This news has been welcomed by Coloradoans who view local control as more beneficial to individual communities than overreaching state mandates. Jill Hunsucker-Ryan of the Colorado Department of Health and Environment says that the commitment of all Coloradoans to follow the state guidelines has now put us in a position where authority over the pandemic will be able to increasingly become decentralized and handed back to lower government bodies. There is still concern that new vaccine-resistant COVID-19 strains may outpace the ability of the government to reach herd immunity. This concern caused many to worry that handing control back to local governments could cause resistant strains of COVID-19 to spread and may threaten all of the progress that has been made. However, Governor Polis is banking on the fast distribution of the vaccine to outpace the spread of new variants so that we can reach herd immunity before resistant strains go out of control. Because of this risk, it is critical that people follow COVID-19 guidelines to the best of their ability and get the vaccine as soon as possible to prevent the future spread of any new variants that may occur. The trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is now set to begin on March 29th. According to Bill Chappell of NPR News, the 14th juror was selected for the trial on Monday, meaning it is now possible to proceed with the trial. The court called for 12 jurors and two alternate jurors in case anyone drops out of the trial before it concludes, and jurors can come to a verdict. The jury now includes three black men, one black woman, two women who identify as multiracial, two white men, and six white women. Derek Chauvin is being tried for second-degree unintentional murder murder in the third degree, and second degree manslaughter for the killing of George Floyd in the summer of 2020. Video evidence from the day shows Chauvin pressing down on Floyd's neck with his knee for more than nine minutes while Floyd begs for his life in front of witnesses and other police officers present that day. Floyd's killing sparked international outrage and led to massive protests and demonstrations around the world in opposition to police violence against people of color in the United States. Two jurors who had been scheduled to be part of Chauvin's trial dropped out after they said they could no longer be impartial when they discovered the city of Minneapolis came to a $27 million settlement with Floyd's family over his wrongful death in police custody. The trial is being closely watched around the world and has reignited protests against police violence and racial inequality in the U.S. The city of Minneapolis is preparing for the possibility of widespread protests and violence by fortifying the courthouse and increasing the police budget to hire new officers despite local activists calling for a decrease in police funding and presence. That's all for National News Highlights. I'm Jacob Selby, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins 90.5 FM. You just heard National
0: News Highlights with Jacob Selby. Today, I'm joined by Andrea Willis for Grow for Google. And we're just going to talk about how Google's expanded job searching tools. So to get started out here, would you mind just introducing yourself with your role, your pronouns?
6: Yes, so I'm Andrea Willis. Um, My pronoun is she and my role is Google tools expert.
0: All right, thank you. And then can you tell us a little bit about what these tools include and how they help people access new careers?
6: Yes. So it is a challenging time for American job seekers. There are 10 million unemployed Americans. 80 million do not have a degree. So we're really excited that we're offering new tools and training that will help job seekers, you know, regardless of their education and experience level. So we just recently launched three new Google career certificates and the high paying, high growth fields of user experience design, data analytics, and project management to help Americans connect with um, great jobs.
0: For sure, and then kind of a follow-up, why did Google decide that these tools were necessary in a world where bachelors and graduate degrees have so much more power than a lot of other forms of experience, and why is that important?
6: Yeah, so this is actually all based on the success of our Google IT Support Certificate that we launched in 2018. We actually launched that based on an internal program we created to help train IT support specialists. And we saw that you could train people to do the job without a degree. And so we made it available to everyone. It's since become the number one professional certificate on Coursera globally. And as a result of that, we're now bringing new certificates into the world in high-paying, high-growth fields that do not require a degree.
0: And then while these tools are aimed at job seekers, how can this also help our local business community?
6: Sure, so in addition to tools for job seekers, we also have a number of tools that that small businesses can use. So that's everything from free classes on how to grow your email marketing strategy uh, to how to get your business on Uh, Google Maps, so that you are not only connecting with your current customer base, but expanding your customer base during this time, which is so important.
0: KCSU has a lot of college students as our listeners being located on CSU's campus. So why should college students look into these programs, even if they plan on completing their degree?
6: Sure, so 41% of the people who have taken our certificate program so far do have a college degree. So it's not even necessarily about whether you do or don't have a degree, but it's about having job ready skills that employers will recognize and value. So a really cool part of this program is that we have over 130 employers who have agreed to consider these certificate graduates for jobs. So that's everyone from Walmart to Deloitte to Snap Inc, Best Buy, Hulu, and of course, Google, um, that will actually consider your resume after taking these certificates. All right. And then can you
0: tell us a little bit about how demand for these jobs has increased, uh, maybe as a result of the pandemic?
6: the pandemic has really accelerated the adoption of technology. So the World Economic Forum actually estimates that by 2025, 50% of the American workforce will need to reskill. And a lot of those jobs you know, are in the tech sector, are embedded in digital skills. So when we were deciding new certificates to launch, we actually looked at fields that were rapidly growing and that didn't require a degree just so that we could help people who may not have a degree and who do have a degree get the right skills that they need.
0: And then from your own personal experience, what do you think are some of the most rewarding things about working in the tech field?
6: You know, I think what's great about Google is that we are able to take our products and really help people. So I think the Google Career Certificates program is a great example of using our expertise and helping people to, um, you know, get up to speed on digital skills, enter the tech field themselves, um, and just make their lives easier through everything from Google Search uh, to Google Meet. And then just
0: adding on to my comment about this versus a degree, um, how do you think that making these tools more accessible helps populations that might be unable to go to college?
6: You know, it really helps because not everyone, even if you don't have the means to go to college, you may not also have the time. So it's great because it's online, you can go at your own pace. It's affordable. There are also scholarships available. So it's a way to rapidly skill yourself without necessarily having to, you know, go through years of schooling. So it's not even an alternative to college. It's just an additional, you know, pathway to a great job.
0: What do you think really makes these programs unique and has made them so successful on that course site?
6: I think the fact that they teach truly teach job ready skills so we design the curriculum with Google employees who are actually in these fields. And we vet it with the employers and the employer consortium that considers these certificate completers for jobs, so that we know that we're teaching you the skills that you need to be successful in these roles.
0: And then if you had to estimate, how do you think that these certificates might impact someone's um, ability, really, to be considered for a job compared to someone with, say, a degree?
6: So I can only really speak for this program. What I do know is that 82% of the people who have completed the Google IT certificate report a positive career impact within six months. So that's getting a raise. A promotion, or a new job. So we've been really thrilled with those results.
0: Before we go, I wanted to ask where people could access these if you have the site um, and how they can learn more.
6: So everything we talked about today from the job seeker tools, certificates, and the small business tools can be found on grow.google.
0: All right, and then do you want to add anything else before we go?
6: No, I've really appreciated your time and getting to chat with you and share all about our resources. It was wonderful.
0: All right, thank you so much. Again, that was Andrea Willis from Grow for Google. And those resources can be accessed at grow.google.com. We'll be right back with COVID-19 updates and some details on the upcoming debates happening tonight through Thursday night.
6: State University, the women's rugby team competes in the Mountain West Rugby Conference, working to establish themselves as leaders on and off the field. Women of all different backgrounds, experience levels, and interests are welcome to join the CSU women's rugby team. Practices and home games are held on the IM fields. To get involved and define the team's game schedule, go to csuwrugby.com.
0: This past year has brought some interesting challenges and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Andrea Willis about Google's job search tools, including new certificates to support career advancement. Now for COVID-19 updates. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. Colorado State University reports over 2,700 cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty at the university since May of 2020, with an increase of 11 new cases Monday. Larimer County remains at a medium-risk score for, for COVID-19 transmission and hospital overcrowding, with over 21,500 cases and 230 deaths. On the state-style framework, Larimer County is ranked at level yellow, concern, where it has remained since February 6th. Nearly 145,000 vaccines have been administered in the county, and 91 new cases were reported Monday. In the past two weeks, 11 days saw over 15 new cases, while no day in the past two weeks saw over 10% of tests come back positive. Larimer's 14-day case rate is at 233 per 100,000 residents, which is considered high, while 29 COVID patients are currently receiving treatment in area hospitals. Overall hospitalization is at 69%, while ICUs are beginning to fill up at 75%. The county is on an overall downward trend, in cases, and around one in four Fort Collins residents is at least partially vaccinated. The state of Colorado reports over 450,000 cases, along with 6,000 deaths due to COVID-19. 2.6 million Coloradans have received testing for the virus, and the state reports over 4,100 outbreaks. The state of Colorado recently launched a more robust Spanish-language COVID-19 site with statistics and information from local health departments, And the state is preparing to launch a third version of the DIAL framework, which you can propose new ideas for by visiting covid19.colorado.gov, which also has new information on vaccines. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from virus transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, and staying at home when possible. Information from this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. For more information on vaccine eligibility, go to covid19.colorado.gov. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any part of our show so far, check us out on Spotify at KCSU News or online at kcsufm.com. CSU's ASCSU debates are opening up starting tonight. The first debate will discuss the vice presidential race and will include all of the vice presidential candidates. And debates for the Speaker of the Senate as well as the presidential position will follow on Wednesday and Thursday. Along with this, ballots for Fort Collins' local election have come out and been sent out to addresses. The Colorado features information on each candidate, while the Collegian also has information about each of the ballot measures ascsu's vice presidential debate starts tonight and will be live on youtube through ctv our television broadcast platform run by rocky mountain student media our parent company tonight's debate starts at 6 30 p.m mountain standard time and you can find the link to it on thecollegian.com debates for speaker of the senate and president will be wednesday and thursday nights at the same time And you can check those out at thecollegian.com, as always, or on Channel 11, which is CTV. Unfortunately, KCSU will not be broadcasting these live. However, we will most likely be featuring highlights from these debates in the coming. A special thanks to CTV and The Collegian for covering this and allowing us to be part of their coverage. We'll be right back with tech news in about a minute.
4: Would you like to be a part of a rising industry on your college campus? Well, you should check out KCSU and their podcast department. 90.5 KCSU is Colorado State University's student-run radio station where you can be involved with music, news, sports, and even production and podcasting. Come on down into the basement of the Laurie Student Center and talk to a staff member today. Just remember to follow the music.
0: And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard COVID-19 updates, as well as some information about the upcoming vice-presidential debate happening tonight. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are tech updates for Tuesday. Discord is rumored to be preparing for a deal with Microsoft. According to Aaron Griffith, Karen Wise, and Kellen Browning from the New York Times, this gaming-focused social media platform discussed acquisition from Microsoft for up to $10 billion. Microsoft recently focused its energy on acquiring platforms including LinkedIn, GitHub, Minecraft, and other online communities. Due to Discord's high user population and increasing popularity due to the COVID-19 pandemic, multiple companies have been interested in acquiring the platform. If Microsoft is able to buy Discord, this would bridge a gap in a community focus faced by Microsoft's Xbox console some MacBook owners have received class-action lawsuit status for a suit related to Apple's butterfly keyboard design. According to Addie Robertson at The Verge, this suit covers U.S. MacBook owners who purchased their MacBook devices between 2015 and 2017, as well as MacBook Pro models between 2016 and 2019, and MacBook Airs between 2018 and 2019. The butterfly keyboard was designed to be thinner than previous keyboard models for Mac devices, but even dust particles could cause failures within the keyboard. The suit claims that Apple knew about the issues within the defective keyboards and chose not to compensate owners or repair their devices. SkySilk web hosting CEO participated in his first interview since their platform chose to host Parler, explaining that SkySilk saved Parler due to their concerns over tech giants over-regulating online speech. According to Bobby Allen at National Public Radio, Parler was linked to many of the capital attacks' plans and participants, and Amazon removed them from their web hosting service due to the threat they posed to public safety, while the App Store also removed them. SkySilk, a relatively obscure web host at the time, brought Parler back online in February to fight back against the abuse of tech giants like Amazon. CEO Kevin Matosian said of the decision to give Parler users a platform, quote, We took the position that big technology's overreach, this unchecked power, is equally frightening, end quote. That's all for tech news. We'll be right back with Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. Stay tuned to 90.5 KCSU for the rest of today's Rocky Mountain Review.
4: My name is DJ Silky Smooth, talking for 90.5 KCSU DJ-thon. KCSU has provided me with the opportunity to be the training director and really bring out some of the best talent at the station. That's something that's not very easy. New students here that are DJs really are enjoying the opportunity to learn, and it's kind of difficult when there's not any grease to oil the chains, if you know what I mean. You can help us out by joining Club 905 or signing up for monthly payments of only $7.50 by calling 970-491-5278 or by donating online at kcsufm.com backslash donate.
1: Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes things need to get a little bit weird. So here's a couple of the weirdest stories I've heard from around the world today. Police in Dallas, Texas will no longer be using hypnotism to investigate crimes after investigation found the science behind it significantly failed to meet the high standards of evidence usually required for a trial. According to Lauren McGaufey at Dallas Morning News, a department spokesman said that the hypnosis program ended in July 2021, more than 40 years after its inception, because its officers are now relying on better investigative practices. The decision comes less than a year after the Dallas Morning News published a two-part series titled The Memory Room, which raised serious questions about the efficacy of using hypnosis on criminal cases. The Dallas Morning News investigation found Texas built one of the most prolific programs for police hypnosis in the country, repeatedly doubling down on the practice despite significant evidence that hypnosis can distort witness memories and lead to false convictions. The Memory Room, published in April of last year, revealed that Texas officers continued to turn to the debunked technique, sending dozens of men and women to prison and some to their deaths. The Texas Rangers are among the most prolific hypnotists in the state. The Dallas Morning News found performing at least 1,700 hypnosis sessions since the 1980s. The Rangers used hypnosis to investigate an attempted kidnapping as recently as October 2020, just two months before the program ended. Various officers at the Department of Public Safety performed a total of eight hypnosis sessions last year, including three that involved murder investigations, according to internal memos. The news obtained through public records requests. New information came out out of seven of those sessions, the officers claimed. It's unclear whether the evidence will still be used in investigations of these alleged crimes now that the program has ended. Even without the program, local police departments may still be using hypnosis to investigate crimes. More than 800 law enforcement officers statewide received approval to use hypnosis as an investigative tool since the 1980s, and Dallas and Houston once boasted the most hypnotists on staff. Texas law also allows evidence allegedly collected from hypnosis to be used in courts. In January, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take up a Dallas death row case involving hypnosis, leaving the decision of whether to allow hypnosis up to each state. Nearly half of the states have banned or significantly restricted the practice among its law enforcement officers and prosecutors. Texas remains the only state known to have an active certification program for law enforcement officials to learn hypnosis, is also the home to likely the nation's only extant police organization for investigative hypnotists. A Canadian professor faced removal from his class after berating a student in Myanmar for missing an exam due to a military-imposed electricity blackout. According to Lee Cohen at CBS News, a professor at York University in Ontario, Canada has been pulled from the course he was teaching after screenshots that showed him berating and threatening to fail a student when viral earlier this week. The professor is seen telling the student, who said that they could not take their midterm exam because the military imposed internet blackout in Myanmar, that, quote, the next time you miss something, it's over, end quote. Screenshots of the email exchange show the student asking mathematics and statistics professor, Emmanuel Fedorosky, for a deferral of their midterm exam, saying they recently learned the military would be imposing another internet blackout. The student wrote, quote, I just learned that from tomorrow, all cellular data, Wi-Fi, and Internet services will be cut off indefinitely. Therefore, there will be a total communications blackout. End quote. The professor, Fyodorowsky, responded, There is no deferral. It is transferred to the final exam. Last chance. Bad sign. Even the Internet came down with COVID-19? All of these were according to Screenshots. The student responded by trying to explain the situation in Myanmar, which has been affected by protests and civil unrest since the military conducted a coup in February. Almost 200 protesters have been shot now. The regime has decided to cut off all communications by tomorrow, the student said. When the student asked if their final exam would now be 60% of their grade, Fitoroski responded, quote, something like that. The student replied, quote, Okay, professor, thank you. So I shouldn't worry if I miss the test tomorrow? Theodorosku replied, quote, Of course you should. The next time you miss something, it's over. By the way, your remarks, both related to this course in your home country, made me worry how you understand reality. People don't get shot for just protesting, but for a lot deeper reasons. And with loading everything on the final exam, it's going to be tough to pass the course, for lack of practice, if nothing else, end quote. Screenshots of the exchange posted to Twitter on Thursday quickly sparked outrage. In a Friday statement, York University said that it is committed to ensuring, quote, respect, equity, diversity and inclusion, adding, quote, there was a recent communication between a Department uh, of Mathematics and Statistics instructor and a student. that does not reflect those values. We would like to ensure all concerned that senior staff from the faculty were able to directly make contact with the student the night of the exchange with the instructor and clearly express support for their difficult circumstance and well-being and further assured them that necessary accommodations will be granted, end quote. The Orozco's contact information was removed from the department's faculty and instructor's page. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
0: This is the Rocky
1: Mountain Review. And now, for the weather.
0: Today we experienced some cold to moderate temperatures with a high of 43 and a low of 29, with mostly cloudy skies and moderate wind speeds. Wednesday will be almost exactly the same in terms of temperature and cloud cover, but winds will slow down a bit. Thursday will warm up to a high of 50 degrees with a low of 32 degrees, while wind speeds will continue slowing down with mostly cloudy cloudy skies once again. This week, we'll see precipitation chances ranging from about 10 to 20%. And for Friday's weather, you'll have to tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the Rocky Mountain Review. Information for this weather report comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Corin, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Guzmurati, Maddie Erskine, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Krueger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandel, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you.
1: And I'd like to thank you, Coda.
0: And I'd like to thank you, Ivy.
1: And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. So thank you.
0: And with that, we'll see you next time.